Extra. Kanichiwa and welcome. You're tuned in to Kawaii Radio, the podcast where you dive into the world of anime, manga, and Japanese otaku culture. I'm Kyle, and with me is Kenny, and hey. we're alone. Yeah, everyone's <sighs> busy today, so we figured we'd just make a nice little extra. Yeah. Um, so we did joke last episode that we were going to do a, um, what was it, card capture episode. Man, that card capture episode is getting away from us. We hope to do it by the end of the year. I'm. I'm convinced it's cursed at this point. <laughs> it's the cursed captors. It's the cursed episode. <laughs> Every time we try to do it, disaster. Now, this episode, we decided to do something a little bit different because we haven't done a film sort of review talk in a while. And uh, it's not the boy in the heron, unfortunately. That's not landed here for us yet. Um, but we're looking back at an incredible film which has just landed on Retro Crush. That's the ad-supported retro streaming service in the US. We like Retro Crush. We do, we do. And if you've got a, a good VPN, you can, you too can access Retro Crush from anywhere in the world. Which but brings I didn't us to say our that. sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> Nor Shadow Legends. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. We don't have a sponsor. No, we do. well, we, we may. We may have. Not a sponsor but a partner um, but we'll, we'll come to that in once it's announced I think that will be a New Year's thing um, but uh, we're going to look back at the incredible Millennium Actress film now this is mm. one that's been on both yours and my um, watch list for a long time and Emma's and I think half the teams I mean since I watched uh, Paprika which was done by the same uh, animators I've been like okay mm. i got to check out their whole catalogue yeah yeah and Millennium Actress has always always been highly rated yeah it's um madhouse mm-hmm. madhouse um but uh yeah uh that's what we're going to be touching on this episode and I, I guess we might as well start straight into it so millennium actresses uh the japanese name is senin joyu um it was a 2001 film though we didn't actually it's got a bit of a weird release schedule pretty much it uh it came, it, it, yeah, it came they out. wanted it to do the whole film festival circuit first, yeah, it so seems. It was ready in July 2001, and it went to the Fantasia Film Festival and won an award there. And then in September 2002, 18 months later, well, 15 months later, it finally got released in Japan cinemas. Hmm. And then in September 2003, into USA cinemas. So Not a big release hmm. either, I think. It like hit... Uh, New York and Los Angeles for like a couple of cinemas mm. for a weekend, but still managed to make a good 37 million. No, it's not 37 million. What? Um, so it's a budget of 1.2 million. In the US, it earned 37,000. Oh, well, oh, we don't know what the Japanese release was. I heard was. million. Million? Hmm. Well, I mean, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to have a look. Um, but yeah, from at, at least from the official Wikipedia page, and let's see where the uh, Millennium Actress box office mojo. Let's see if they've got the Japanese film details from there because that was two thousand three. Um, I do wonder because like this was been back when it it only went to six theaters in in the US, which you know for the time I get it because mm. anime was a bit more niche back then. Yeah, it they don't still sort of they don't have the worldwide figures. Ah, uh, figures. All right. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> um, oh no, today's going to be full of bad puns. Now this is uh, hour and a half, mm-hmm. 86 minutes. Um, and the synopsis, uh, we're going to use the My Anime List synopsis because that kind of explains it a bit more clearly as the setting, but it's a bit more than is, is explained. So at the turn of the millennium, Gine Studios' dilapidated buildings are set to be demolished. So ex-employee and filmmaker Genya decides to honour this occasion with a commemorative documentary about the company's star actress. Chiyoko Fujiwara, the reclusive sweetheart of Showa-era cinema. 
having finally obtained permission to interview the retired starlet, an enamoured Genya drags along cynical cameraman Kyoji to meet her, (laughs) ready to put his lifelong idol back in the spotlight one more time. Hidden in this secluded mountain retreat is a thousand years of history condensed into one lifetime, waiting to be narrated. Chiyoko's recollections take them on an illusionary journey through Japanese cinema history that transcends the boundaries of reality. The saga of her acting career intertwines with her filmography, the actors in her life blend seamlessly with the characters on screen, and the present melds with the past. Though the actress may have retired at the height of her career 30 years ago, the curtain on her life stage has yet to fall. The first thing you see is a rocket launch. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. But, I, but, you know, that was like a mm. Hollywood-wise, like the whole sci-fi era was around that kind of point. Mm. I, I thought it was really good. Like, I, I just wasn't expecting it. Like, I went, wait, is this a sci-fi? Because I hadn't actually read the synopsis before watching it. I was going into it blind. Oh, you hadn't even seen any trailers or anything? No, nothing. Oh, okay. Like, I've just, I've had it sitting there on the to-watch list for a long time because I've heard it was phenomenal. And so I was like, wait, is this a sci-fi? Why haven't I watched this? No, it's not It's not a sci-fi. Um, it's... I mean, I yeah. was kind of clued into that from seeing the trailer on mm. um, old anime DVDs, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, I think it was actually from my collection of Bleach DVDs from way back in the day. Fair enough. It's that in the extras menu, they always had trailers for other they, stuff like uh, Gundam and stuff. Yeah. Actually, on the, on the note of Bleach, I'm like 450 chapters in. Yeah, you've uh, posted a screenshot of where you were. It's just like, man... You got ahead really quickly without all the filler. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Um, anyway, yeah. So um, the film, firstly, this is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Like As expected from Madhouse. Yeah, like the animation looks very traditional hand-drawn. Um, they also include camera movement as part of the art style, such as camera shaking. Um, so like, obviously, like the camera's not shaking. It's just that they've moved the animation cells to make it look as if... It, the way they've drawn it makes it look as if there is camera shake. Yeah, we are going uh, before computer-assisted kind of yeah. animation here, people. And yeah, that it's mm, probably the earliest I've seen in, an, in a hand-drawn film, at least so far. And just even plot-wise, that uh, it plays an interesting part because is that you are taken back into Chiyoko's kind of her past, mm. but the cameraman and the documentarian join her. Mm. They are present in the scenes and following along. And I had, like, you see that kind of a few times just sort of in passing, like, um, uh, what was the movie? Boondock Saints. Oh, it's yeah. that the investigator kind of appears in the flashbacks to sort of say what's going on. Yeah, But then the two characters sort of, take an active role mm-hmm. in the actual past that they are sort of like being shown and yeah. I'm just like oh this is brilliant yeah it uses the so interview creative. like as a way to blend Chico, uh, Chioko's history and films into a start like, they say it's an interwined story where the lines between reality and the story become blurred mm. um, and it is true because like they take on like it starts with them just kind of following her along and you're hearing about her life as a child and you know when she became an actress and then you're suddenly inside one of the films as part of that flashback. But even then, that's like the film part is more symbolism. It's like mm. it represents an early kind of part of Japanese cinema. And that is like one of the big things about this is that this movie is just a celebration of Japanese cinema. Of the from- golden age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And th- this is something I noticed as well. The color palette in the film transitions from old almost borderline black and white grayscale with hints of red to do with just the scarf mm-hmm. that was the only thing that was in bright color 
It goes from almost black and white into modern, vibrant colour. And you can also see like film grains and just sort of like baseline kind of effects which mm. were prominent in those eras of film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the other thing as well like is that... thought has gone into what they're going to show for every age of Japanese film in this. I was just like, yes, yeah. someone thought about this. <laughs> I mean, the other thing as well is that... So th- we should probably also mention that, that this is loosely based on the lives of two Japanese actresses from the golden age of Japanese cinema. And that was Setsuka Hara and uh, Hideko Takamine. Um, and tells the story well as she tells them the story of her life that they take parts of the films they were in the experiences they had to develop that so for instance um the main character is brought up in hokkaido and that um one of the actresses is from hokkaido Mm. um so the the two actresses so setsuka hara she starred in over a hundred films from 1935 to 1963 that's an average of three films a year that's wild. Which is crazy. But, I mean, mm. you see some of the uh, old movies back then and, like, the big name stars. And, mm. yeah, that's on point. Yeah. Now, like, Hara, she never married and is nicknamed the Eternal Virgin in Japan and is a symbol of the golden era of Jap- Japanese cinema in the 1950s, known especially for her films with uh, Yasujiro Oz, uh, Ozu. He's regarded, regarded as one of the world's greatest and most influential filmmakers of all time. Mm-hmm. Now, she quit acting in 1963, the year Ozu died. And subsequently, she lead, led a secluded life, which is very much in line with the film um, that we've been talking about, in Kamakura, where many of her films with Ozu were made and refusing all interviews and photographs. Once very again, similar to very similar to the film. Chiyoko. Now, Hara herself confessed during the final press conference, her final press conference, that she never really enjoyed acting and was only using it as a means to support her family. However, many people continue to speculate over possible romantic involvement with Ozu or potentially failing eyesight. So, there, there are like considering the time, this is the forties, fifties, sixties that she was acting in. Sorry, I think I did. Mm. You, you mentioned the second actress. It was not, based on? not yet, not oh. yet. Um, no, we'll get to her. But like, it, it does make sense for health issues and obviously traditional you know, women's roles in Japan mm. potentially playing a role in that. Um, it, it's kind of up in the air as to what the reason was. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, the other actress is Hideko Takamine, and she had a career that spanned over 50 years, starting in 1929 to 1979. She was a child actor. Similar, um, right. She starred in almost 40 films, and uh, almost half of her films were filmmaker Mikio Narus, um, another Golden Age great act uh, director. He's kind of overshadowed by Ozu a bit, but um, Narus uh, had both of them as his actors over the years. They both did films with him, both of these ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ooh, he f- maybe that actually has another point to it because mm-hmm. there's the uh, other character, the uh, older actress. Yeah, kind of like plays the role of the villain almost in some of her life. It's interesting because I haven't heard of this phrase before. Um, so Narus focused on a genre of film called Shoshimin Ega, common people drama films. Hmm. So just like, you know, bleak, pessimistic themes, but with female leads um, and often had both Hara and Takamine as the leads. That's great. Yeah, he's like also like one of the well most well-known um, directors and one of his is like one of like the top 10 films of history, like rated by critics or something. Um, Takamine married writer-director Zenzo Matsuyama in 1955 and continued her acting career, stating that she wanted to create a new style of wife who has a job. Considering this is 1955, that's 
that's pretty forward thinking. Quite it's good to see. So she didn't retire until 1979. And there's elements of that in Chiyoko mm-hmm. in the movie as well, where yeah. uh, at a point she uh, does get into a relationship with one of the directors. Mm-hmm. So th- there are a lot of little references to the actress's histories, both of these, um, being brought up in Hokkaido, marrying a director. I thought this was a really good nod. Off-brand Godzilla shows up on quite a few occasions. <laughs> both actresses worked for Toho Studios. But so, <laughs> but were never involved with a Godzilla movie themselves. No, neither. No, they weren't. At least not that we could find. So like, th- there's lots of lo- little throwbacks to celebrate Japanese cinema, which I thought was just a really nice way to kind of approach and it. And I think I also did remember reading uh, the director when he was basically uh, asked about um, the two actresses that were his uh, inspiration. He didn't deny it, and he basically kind of said, yes, those two play a big role in it, Mm -hmm. but that he also wanted the main character to be sort of recognised more as just a symbol of humanity. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, what I thought was interesting is the awards it has won, because we, we do hear a lot about like anime films winning awards now, but back in 2001, this won the award for Best Animation Film and the Fantasia Groundbreaker Award at the Fantasia Film Festival where it premiered. It also was awarded the Feature Film Award at the 8th Animation Kobe uh, Festival in Kobe. Um, in 2002, when it then released um, internationally, it was it won the prestigious Ofuji Noburo... Uh, sorry. 2002, when it released in Japan, mm-hmm. it won the prestigious Ofuji Noburo Award at the Mayanichi Film Awards. It was honoured with the Orient Express Award at the Festival de Sin de Cites in Spain. Wow. And then in 2004, when it finally hit, um, well, end of 2003 hit US cinemas. So then for the 2004 awards at the Annie Awards, it wa- uh, was nominated for four of them, including Outstanding Direction and Writing. Didn't win, unfortunately, but I ah. think it was another, like a Pixar or Disney film at the same time. So of course, um, when you consider that amount of attention for a film that isn't really spoken about outside of Japan, like, yes, we, like, we don't I mean, hear about it in a lot of the anime circles we're in. Uh, like we said as well, this was uh, this was in an age where anime was still pretty niche. Mm-hmm. So for it to get that much attention, it's like even to just lose cut, like to just mm. come short of Pixar movies, yeah, pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, mm. <laughs> I mean, I don't really know what more to say about that. It's just like it's disappointing because this is such an incredibly beautiful film, and honestly, I'm really glad Retro Crash has picked it up. It's been on everyone's watch list for a good long time as well. Yeah, like I think anyone who loves watching these old anime movies. This one has got to have a special place. Oh, it looks like it was on Crunchyroll at some stage as well. Mm. I'm just having a quick look now. It might not be here. I mean, it wouldn't surprise, but uh, so Retro Crush is the good place to find it at the moment, yeah? Yeah, I think it is. Okay, at least as recently as February this year, people have set, put reviews on, on Crunchyroll. So it is still on Crunchyroll in some areas, not all areas. All right, all right. Um, it is on Anime Crush. Crush, not Yo, anime, anime crust. Um, Prime Video, you can buy it, but you can't stream it. Mm. Um, wow, that's weird to see. Like, watch with Crunchyroll. Start your seven-day free trial on Amazon Prime. Uh, I didn't know that that was a cross thing. Okay, cool. So, yeah, it is um, it is on Crunchyroll in some areas. So, I th- I'm going to wager a bet that anywhere Retro Crush isn't accessible is probably where Crunchyroll will have it, or it might be... Funimation, depending mm. on it, um, but yeah, look, it's it's beautiful. 
Like it's stunning. It's well thought out. The characters are interesting. Um, Shoko in particular, you get to see her go from a young girl to, you know, an an adult and then into an older, you know, more tenured actress and see, you know, how her demeanor changes and how she, you know, grows instead of just being like, you know, the same character. There's a couple of people in the story we haven't actually mentioned yet. Mm -hmm. uh, Both of her love interests. Yeah. So there is a... (sighs) There's a whole political backing to the story. There was... Uh, like her career was based during a time of major kind of political upheaval Mm -hmm. and uh she goes to manchuria uh north of north korea Mm -hmm. in china Uh, and that is during um well let's say there's a lot of history and a lot of blood and death around that point yeah and she is going there in order to chase a man who she uh basically shielded from the law an artist who she sort of fell in love with but knows nothing about. Mm-hmm. And the only thing he's left for her is a key. Yeah. It, also, like, the the whole story is centred around the key, mm-hmm. realistically. It's that the key connected her to the only person she's felt like she truly loved, um, her first love, if you will. And that is constantly appears throughout the story in different ways like the key appears around her neck for most of her life in all of the flashbacks of her it's sort of it's her quest item it's yeah. what she's got it's as her, her key connection. item pun yes. intended <laughs> it's her connection to this mysterious figure who she who she's just trying desperately to find and you do find out what happens to him in the end mm. um I, I think rightly so that wasn't communicated to chioko um but you know the the story ends in a very final, resolute way because at this stage very she's poignant. yeah she's she's old and this would be like the equivalent of the other lady doing her final press conference uh, as part of her life. She mm-hmm. comes in to then talk about you know these are all the things that I do want to leave behind that I do want to share, and like there is obviously the gap when she leaves being um, an actress to when the interview occurs, and not really much happens there Mm. um but yeah i i mean it's it's also kind of iffy like you don't know if the fate of her beloved was told to her and that was why she went into seclusion or if you know she went into seclusion because of you know losing the key which is part of the story as well Mm -hmm. um and all these other things it's there's a lot to sort of unpack into why the seclusion happened. And I think they're leaving it as open-ended because the actress who they, that section's based on didn't give... Like, she said it was for her family, but it wasn't necessarily a definitive reason. There are obviously lots of questions around what it could be, you know? But, uh, and then, yeah, there was the second character. Sorry, I actually just had to uh, look up his name, uh, Tachibana. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The documentarian. Yeah. It's that his whole thing is that he's practically in the same situation yeah. as the main character in that he is chasing a uh, love which is unrequited and that he will never actually have in th- that he's in love with this actress and yeah. always has been. Mm-hmm. Like, it was actually, his idol. And you always, like, uh, the part I love is that he keeps involving himself in the flashbacks of her movies. He keeps 
making himself a character in it mm-hmm. to sort of support her and be the whole you go on ahead i'll take care of these guys character yeah he must have done that like three or four times <laughs> oh yeah god it was great he's just like i bet you he's staying behind <laughs> and i mean it, considering that all of the films that the actresses who these who Chiyoko's based on hmm. were focused on like leading female characters it's interesting to see that the male characters always serve as the ones to hold back the flood. And it's, it's very traditional Japanese storytelling. They hold back the flood as the female heroine goes off to do, you know, take on the, the final challenge. Mm-hmm. If that, if that, I mean, I mean, like there's also like, you know, the chasing after the loved one story of those early films as well. And it's kind of funny to think about because, you know, traditional Japanese culture, very patriarchal, yeah. much like any other time in history and any other place. But there is always just these constant strong female characters, especially mm. in Japanese stories and Japanese media. And it's just like, yeah, it's, it, it's at odds with the culture it was written in. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's uh, really odd. It's like, yeah, there's, we uh, talked about how uh, there's the whole uh, roles of Japanese mm. women in that society. And yet their strength is brought to the forefront in these stories so mm. often. And I do wonder if like the, the strength component um, comes to do with... Um, you know, the post-war period of, you know, everyone having to come together and do all sorts of yeah. odd jobs. But maybe it is also that there is... I mean, we know Miyazaki in particular loves his strong female leads. Mm-hmm. We know that there are a lot of other directors who in Japan who love their strong female leads and are, you know, quite protective of those characters being well-received, well-looked after, well-represented. But I think you also see a lot of that in uh, Madhouse pictures as well. Is that- Madhouse is pretty good for their representation mm. in that regard, yeah. No, just wait till you hit up Paprika, goddamn. Yeah, <laughs> well, I was going to say, on the note of Paprika, so it's interesting um, about the actual origin of this film because the guy who created it, this is Kon Satoshi, mm-hmm. his first film was Perfect Blue. Yes. Yeah. And then he Which was going to do crazy. Paprika. Um, however, the plans for that stalled because the distribution company for Perfect Blue, Rex Entertainment, went bankrupt. Aye. Yeah. So that was 1993. Oh, wow. So Paprika was going to be made ages before. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can so, only imagine how different it would look. Uh, Paprika is very uh, effects heavy. Yeah, it really Because is. of its uh, themes of like uh, basically entering people's subconscious and dreamlands and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I can only imagine what that would be like with like a traditional hand-drawn style. Yeah. <laughs> um, Millennium Actress came from literally the words, let's make a movie that looks like a trompe l'oeil um, by Taramaki, who decided to produce Khan's film because he thought his previous works were amazing. Mm-hmm. The script writing began with a sentence that Khan came up with, an old woman who was once touted as the greatest actress is supposed to be recounting her life story, but her memories get confused and the various roles she plays in the past blend together, creating a tumultuous story. So, yeah, and that's exactly what it was. Like, Although I don't think that's a case of the actress being confused. I think it's that the movies that she were in simply were representations of different parts of her life. Yeah, I think exactly. Even, yeah, it's not that there wasn't any confusion except on the part of maybe the audience. Yeah, and I mean, like, I think especially like the first scene where um, the director, Genya, is uh, uh, the interviewer, yeah. when he's like, you know, got the the traditional samurai helmet on, and then they're both doing the yelling at one another, like oh, yeah. you know. And it's like maybe like part of the interview, they were, you know, revisiting, um, re- revisiting memories. memories of those films that they they both be- they both loved. So yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. So the the structure of the story is actually quite solid. It is very linear, um, aside from the 
you know, jumping back occasionally to look at, um, you know, their current setting where they're talking about the conversation. Cameraman's amazing. Oh, yeah, I love him. Um, I, uh, I think he's you know? sort of there to keep things yeah. grounded. Yeah. It's that while uh, Tachibana, uh, sorry, Genya is sort of like mm-hmm. getting involved in the stories and sort of like the fantasy and like jumping through the history of it all, uh, the cameraman is just kind of there to sort of like... Mm-hmm. Almost be commentary. Almost he be is. the audience's go-to guy. I think at one point, like the, we did watch it dubbed, and I have to say the dub's really good. And I think we've got the 2019 dub, mm-hmm. which is poor. Um, I, actually, yeah, it, it has to be the 2019 dub because the 20 2005 dub, which was done by Village Productions Manga UK, that was had one actress only for Chioko. Oh. Um, throughout the whole thing um, as for all of her different ages, whereas the um, VSI 11 Arts one done in 2019 that has a different actress for her as an you know, older lady, as a uh, young person, at, as an adult. That'd so, be hard to do. Yeah. Um, like getting the right person who just sounds so much alike. Yeah. But generationally different. Oof. Yeah. Tricky. Ida, um, is, so the camera guy, Ida, he makes some great one-liners. <laughs> and it's it's like, I'm pretty sure it's the 2019 one, so. I'm pretty sure there's a nod to Kurosawa in a bit where he's getting pelted by arrows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, the film just kind of leaves you with a really, like, it's a little bit sad at the end. But it leaves you feeling like the story is complete and that she, Shoko, is, I don't know the, the quite the correct way to phrase it, but it feels like she is not necessarily moving on, but moving forward, even though it's kind of like the last days of her life sort of thing. Um, it's really, it's really positive and beautiful. Perhaps contented. Yeah, content. Feels like, you know, I will see him in another life sort of thing. Mm. Like, you know, she, she's been brought the key back after it was gone missing all those years ago um which is the opening scene of the film and you wonder you know how did the how did genya end up with the key um and uh yeah it's yeah it's great i just i really loved this film i was quite happy with it I, I was i was really engrossed in it i didn't want to look away i was struggling to write notes which is why i haven't got many to go <laughs> off i'm um, like i was before we did it i was like oh all the details about the other actresses yep cool that's who they are all those act like th- this is like a deep well we could go down like if we did like a a uh, episode focusing on just Toho, like even just dipping the toe into the animation side of Toho's history is huge. Let alone like all the live actions, film, everything else that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, like I didn't even realize this. There was Toho, then there was a um, a union strike, and then all the people who left Toho during the union strike set up Shin Toho, as in New Toho. All right. Um, while Toho was still around, <laughs> it's like. Hmm. Welcome to New Toho. Hey. <laughs> I think it only lasted like five to ten years. Oh, shame. Um, this is the last movie Con, uh, the director creator, has made to utilize cell animation. All his future works were produced using digital ink and paint, such as, as you said, paprika, which mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, Although he has kept his style very mm. much in check. It's like, you know when it's one of his films, as you'll know, like a Tezka. 
Yeah. Or like an A2, A1 pictures. Yeah. Yeah. The initial budget, the budget was initially 130 million yen. The final budget was actually closer to 100 million and a few tens of millions of yen. That could be 130 million. (laughs) Basically. Why do you differentiate that? So it's either way, it's one of the lowest production costs for an animated film in Japanese history. Considering the quality. Wow. Yeah. Actually, considering the amount that was. Yeah, yeah, as we were t- saying, there was like some pretty crazy camera movements in a bunch of these shots. And as we also mentioned, this is before like computer assisted animation. So how in the hell was this that cheap? I know. I mean, well, I mean, realistically, when you think about a Studio Ghibli film, right? Oh, yeah. A Studio Ghibli film is relatively cheap to make because Miyazaki is like Makoto Shinkai. He wants to do everything. Mm. And they keep it all in-house. Well, they don't keep everything in-house. They do off, you know, outsource some parts and pieces. But um, we also know, noticed in the credits that Dr. Movie, which is the Korean production company, um, was listed quite heavily in it. And I mm. do wonder if they, you know, because of, at the time, Korea's, you know, animation production department wasn't massive. I wonder if they did it at budget price. Could have done, could have done. So, yeah. Actually, that could have been, like, one of their bigger breaks. Yeah. Uh, Interestingly, regarding the box office, there is no information on the Japanese release that I can find at least easily. Um, I'd have to actually go digging... Keep in mind, like, Japan didn't really embrace the internet until, like, the mid-2000s. Pretty much. Um, Commercially, they only have the US box office releases. So, it earned 18730 on its opening weekend, but it was only shown at six screens total. (sighs) And they were exclusively in New York and Los Angeles. Oh, actually, no, there was one outside, but yeah, like of six, you know, five were LA and New York. So it received minimal advertising from Go, Go Fish Pictures, which is a division of DreamWorks. Um, the scale of the release was not large. Um, the merit of the theatrical release was not only in the box office revenue, but also in the fact that critics would view the film and publish reviews and criticisms in general newspapers, magazines, and websites. And that would raise awareness of the work, which could then make it reach a wider audience when it went to like home media. Perhaps. So that's that's apparently like what was said as to why they didn't do massive. They focused on getting the critics in to then review it, to then push people to go see the limited screenings at the cinemas. And then if they missed out and everyone else was talking about how good it is, they'd get it on VHS. And once again, this is in an age where anime wasn't huge. Yeah. This was still very niche. Yeah. And, and um, as they said, they wanted to expand it to something more than just anime fans. And this is why it's like, this is why we are talking about it is mm. that this needs more attention. Yeah. It's it's rated like favorably by critics, 93% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Jesus. Considering critics have terrible takes, that's surprising. Um <laughs> I know it's got a 4.8 on IMDb as well. Yeah, it checks out. It's so good. <laughs> what about uh no, no, not my a anime point. list, sorry. Uh my anime list is 8.25. Oof. Yeah. I don't know why you'd rate this poorly. It's it's a phenomenal film. Mm. Like there's um, only only two people don't recommend it, and having a look at let me guess review, their review is can she beat Goku? Uh, no, but it's bordering line in it. People clearly, uh, it's not worth the drama. Wow, it's not good. It's it's not worth it. These are the type of can you beat Goku type of people. <laughs> like two out of seventy eight reviews say not recommended. Nine of them have mixed feelings. Sixty seven recommend, and I I honestly would be 
straight in the recommend. It's it is a film. It is about Japanese cinema history, and it is about telling a human story, which is very much in line with what these actresses did in their in their careers. Mm-hmm. They were in those middle middle class film human drama story if you don't like human drama if you're watching this for like action if you're like going yeah um attack on titan is the greatest series ever made this is not for you Uh, to be fair it was a good series it's a good series (laughs) but like if that's the type of action and entertainment you're looking for with you know fast paced high movement high velocity quick action this is not that film there's a lot of running in this movie. There's though. a lot of running, but there's a lot of running in, running in everything Japanese. She was the Japanese film gen- Golden Age film generations. Tom Cruise, lots yeah. of running, <laughs> lots of running, running everywhere in a specific, unique style. <laughs> the Tom Cruise run. There's a whole video on YouTube about the Tom Cruise run and why it's iconic and why people do it. And uh, there's actually kind of funny because some athletes reckon he could almost break the 10 second 100 meter mark. <laughs> yeah, it's like really <laughs> when he was younger. Like yeah, Tom Cruise in his most daring role. Yes, they, an Olympian. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. They reckon like the pati- the angle he's running at is so unnatural, and that's why it's so iconic. Hmm. Because he's got a straight back, and normally you'd run forward to break through the wind. Anyway, Tom Cruise is not in this <laughs> film. Um, <laughs> he wishes. The film's great. Go watch it. Everyone was involved Get in the production. Retro Crush account. It's yeah. great. Um, Katakawa, Shoten, Clockworks, Bandai Visual, Wow Wow, and Genko were all involved in the production side of it. So they all helped out. Action, adventure, drama, fantasy, romance, award winning. Um, it is historical. It is about showbiz. Actually, if you liked Oshinoko, oh, this, this, this should probably be up your alley. This would be up your alley if you like the themes in Oshinoko of looking at show business from a, an interesting and different angle. This this would be up that alley. Um, yeah, it's it's just phenomenal, and I, I greatly greatly enjoyed the dub. Um, obviously, sub is just as good. It's PG thirteen. It's an hour I mean, and a half. Naturally, we're going to get heat from the purists for saying that the dub was okay. <laughs> that's on them. Look, if you don't want to, if you don't want to watch dub, don't watch dub. Like that's fine. Like sometimes dubs are good, sometimes they're not. Um, I greatly enjoyed the dub of Kikuyu Summer Love Is War. I really like the dub of Ghost Stories. <laughs> I mean, the Ghost Story. Gosh, I think we might just have to pull that out for next year. Probably. I think it's... Ghost Story. We have to do Ghost Stories at some okay, point. Okay, but considering some of the stuff, that might have to be like an adults only. Episode. <laughs> well, yeah, it could be next Halloween's uh, special stream. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, go watch it. Uh, Crunchyroll, uh, as well as uh, Retro Crush, or if it's neither of those in your area and you don't have a VPN, then you can buy it off um, Amazon. I'd recommend against it. I don't want to give Jeff Bezos any more money. <laughs> uh, Talk to your mate that downloads stuff. Yeah. Talk to your friend who has that peg leg and uh, a parrot on his shoulder. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway. uh, (laughs) Sorry, what? Yar, I got termites in me leg. Oh, okay. (laughs) And with that. Kawaii Radio. Yar, a pirate's life is a life for me. Yar, 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 yar. <laughs> anyway, um, that is where we are going to leave this extra. Thank you so much for listening. Apologies, it is not a full episode, but we do have some fun little news tidbits to uh, to tell you about. Um, Attack on Titan is finally done. Yes, it's had its final episode, but 
great news. Great news. Miyazaki has come out of retirement oh. to direct the next final episode of Attack wow. on Titan. Wow, <laughs> who would have thought? No, not really. Um, uh, but on that note, um, Studio Ghibli closed their Twitter account because they were like, well, we've done the promotion for The Boy and the Heron. And as this is not um, uh, Miyazaki's oh. last film anymore because he's come back and he's got all these ideas for another film, like, yep. Man, the guy is never going to stop. No. Um, and I appreciate that. Um, but as he's got ideas, we're going to close the Twitter account down until we next need it. And it's like, that's not how social media works, I guys. I don't, I don't think you had to do But okay, but... Okay, but why? Didn't he say that he wanted less promotion for this movie? No, he didn't. The studio did. Oh, right, right. Yeah, the studio thought they wouldn't need it because it's Miyazaki's last film. But now we know it's not his last film. They should promote it. (laughs) Oh, God. It's just like, are you you all right? Crazy. (laughs) Crazy world. Anyway, um, next time... Cardcaptor Sakura. No. Next time, Pluto, the gritty Astro Boy retelling. It has landed on Netflix and it's a big one. Eight episodes, an hour each episode. I've seen some clips from it already. It looks good. This is one of the most acclaimed arcs in the Astro Boy manga and it's getting the Dororo treatment. They're taking it and making it gritty and dark and modern to you know, properly tackle the content that was suggested as underlying in it. Because Astro Boy was aimed at kids. Oh, yeah. They, they couldn't mention that another robot was killed. They just said they've gone missing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So Pluto is the name of the big villain in it. And we're not following Astro Boy. We're, invo- we're following another character who is investigating these disappearances. Um, it's going to be... Whoa. It's good. It's just landed. We're going to watch it in the next two weeks and come back with uh, we thoughts. Should, we should just watch some Astro Boy. As I've well. got some. We should. We definitely mm-hmm. should. Um, we will also be tying Astro Boy in on that I episode. I think there was like a mid two thousands animation of it as well. I remember. Yeah. Seeing like a westernized version of it. Well, there's the western film. Uh, that was. It was okay. It wasn't good, but it was okay. Basic. It was basic. Yeah. It had. Did you know it had Samuel L. Jackson in it? What? Yeah, the man had three lines in the movie. Yeah, that checks out. Um, <laughs> so, um, if you have enjoyed what you've heard, we'd love for you to hit the subscribe button for future episodes. If you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe and like button as well. If and you let us know your in the comments. With, if you disagreed with anything we said, you're wrong. Fight me in the comments. <laughs> um, we are going to have some more anime-focused content on the YouTube channel soon. Um, I've got all that footage from Japan, which I'm finally getting close to touching. Um, the, the issue I've had is I've been uh, creating so much video content for other things other projects that i'm involved in that are paying um <laughs> so please, please take a break sometime. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um uh, we've got that um there's also going to be some more stuff on patreon as well um i realize we're a little bit behind so we've got a pre-show from this episode and two episodes back which haven't been posted yet no pre-show for the live stream because we kind of just went ham um, for episode 110 for Halloween. Um, if you haven't seen that, uh, over on YouTube, full live stream episode for the Halloween app. Um, all animations, everything on screen. I'm very proud of how it came out. It looked good. Congrats, man. If you would like to support the channel, Patreon is there. Dollar a month gets you access to pre-shows and all other stuff and video extras. Um, also, occasionally, some extra, more saucy um, videos and audio um, This time outtakes. we talked about Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> Not in that way. Um, starts from a dollar a month and you can uh, also just follow us on there for major show updates for the uh, as, you know, the, just the normal following tier. Um, if you aren't already, make sure you join us on the socials and all that good stuff. Um, we're on everywhere. 
um, that's a major social platform for now. Twitter slash X is probably going to die uh, in the new year. Um, when we yeah. get a website, because that was meant to be this year for our five-year anniversary, we have a website, so Woo-hoo. I've got to do that over Christmas. Oh, heck, we've been doing this five years. Yeah. Yeah. And we have, like, two subscribers. No kidding, Yay. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> now, do we still have all our subscribers from uh, Lithuania, you suppose? I don't know. I don't know. Greetings, Lithuanian friends. Um, Why? <laughs> maybe it's just someone who uses their VPN to say they're in Lithuania. Yeah, it could be. We are getting back into the swing of normal production again, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there will be more coming in the future for you to join us with, including videos where we'd sample all the different kinds of Kit Kats I've brought back from Japan. Woo-hoo! One where we try the Gamer Cup noodles from Japan. Oh no! I don't know how we're going to do the Gamer Cup noodles one. And one where we do all of those um, make your own candies oh, from no. Japan. So we've got three Kawaii Try videos in the works, plus the stuff from Japan, including Kyoto Studios, um, the Toho Studios in Kyoto, um, some stuff from USJ, uh, going through Hakone and seeing all the Evangelion sites, stuff like that. I bet you loved that. Oh, I loved it so much. <laughs> I got so much Evangelion merch. I'm wearing an Evangelion shirt at the moment where all the Evas are scribbles. It's so cute. It's really cute. Um, yeah, that's that, that. That's all coming soon. Um, hooray for having time again. It's it, maybe, maybe. Two, two more weeks. Two more weeks. <laughs> um, that is where we're going to leave it. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to Kawaii Fi Radio. And until next time, watch, watch some anime. anime.